Hello, everyone. Welcome to our final week of the fall semester of Dig Deep. Can you believe it? It's the last week of our series, Transformed. Well, those of you in the medical profession are probably familiar with the name Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale is known as the founder of modern nursing. She was born in 1820 to a wealthy family in Victorian England, and in her 20s, she began to feel a calling on her life to become a nurse. Now, in our family, we had a stomach bug in our house over the weekend, and I can tell you, I am not called to be a nurse. I know that for sure. I have several nurses in my family, and for those of you who are nurses, I have so, so, so much respect for you. I believe it really is a calling to be a nurse. And Florence Nightingale felt that calling on her life. The problem for Nightingale was nursing, as we know it today, didn't exist yet. At that time, nursing was not a career that you aspired to. It was a position that was really despised in most areas of society. In the first half of the 19th century, nurses were most often former servants or widows who could find no other job, and they were therefore forced to earn their living from that kind of work in hospitals. So to willingly choose to be a nurse was virtually unheard of, and it was most definitely unheard of in the social class that Nightingale was born into. Her mother was embarrassed by her decision and convinced that her daughter was throwing her life away. But for Nightingale, the decision wasn't just a career preference. She really believed it was a calling from God on her life. At the age of 30, she wrote in her diary, I am now 30 years old, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now no more childish things, no more vain things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. And with that conviction, she devoted herself to a life of nursing. Her nursing career really gained momentum during the Crimean War. There was a great need overseas to care for wounded soldiers. So Nightingale not only volunteered herself, but also personally educated and trained 38 other volunteer nurses to go with her overseas to care for wounded soldiers. And it was during her time over there that she earned the nickname from the soldiers, the Lady with the Lamp, because after all the other doctors and nurses had gone to bed, she would light a lamp and go and make rounds visiting the wounded, wounded soldiers, knowing that they needed that compassion and encouragement. Nightingale found the work of nursing to be grueling, as it certainly is, but she also felt her calling to be confirmed. She later wrote in her journal, nursing, professional nursing, must be lifted to the true position that God wishes it to be. If it takes all of my strength, I shall pay the price to put it there. She was a woman of compassion and a woman of strength, just like all the nurses in my life, and she used her gifts to serve others relentlessly. And in her humble, consistent service, she was laying the groundwork for educated, professional, and compassionate nursing, the kind of nursing that we know and benefit from today. But I was interested to learn that she had many other gifts that God wanted to use as well. Biographers say that Nightingale was known for being stubborn, opinionated, and forthright. And I thought, my girl. But instead of allowing those things to be weaknesses in her life, she leveraged them to be strengths, and she got some stuff done. She was also gifted in the area of mathematics, especially statistics. And ladies, check this out. She was one of the first people to popularize the use of the pie chart. I thought that was interesting, considering our lesson two weeks ago. 
During her time overseas, she began to record statistical data about the causes of soldiers' deaths and found that the vast majority of soldiers were dying not from their battle wounds, but from infection and diseases that could have easily been prevented if they had better sanitation and air ventilation in the hospitals. So she began to, to create in-depth statistical reports that led to social reform that improved healthcare in all sections of British society, beginning in hospitals, but eventually including working class homes and places of employment. But she didn't stop there. Her social reforms also included advocating for hunger relief in India, helping to abolish prostitution laws that were harsh for women, and expanding the acceptable forms of female participation in the workforce. And so it's no wonder that nurses all over the world celebrate International Nurses Day every year on Florence Nightingale's birthday, May 12th. At the end of her life, Nightingale was asked for her life's secret, and she replied with beautiful simplicity, I can give only one explanation. That is, I have kept nothing back from God. I believe Nightingale discovered the secret of living a life transformed by God. And so as we conclude this series today, I want us to just take a couple minutes to allow our hearts to settle on that secret a little bit. Listen with me one more time to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember, the word transform that Paul is using here is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get the Latin metamorphosis. Meta meaning change and morph meaning shape. This is not just a slight improvement. This is total transformation. And just like the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly, the transformation that God is inviting us into is mysterious and beautiful, and it's only possible by his power. But the caterpillar isn't just walking down the street and suddenly gets zapped into a butterfly. It submits itself to the process of transformation. It stops what it's doing. It slows down. It constricts its freedom inside the chrysalis, and it's in that submission that transformation is possible. And I believe the same is true of the kind of transformation that God wants to accomplish in our lives. What God desires from us is a daily relationship where we come before him, we sit in the reality of his mercy, and we respond by saying, God, you can have it all, all of it. Take my life. Take today. I trust you. I surrender myself to you. And remember, Paul gives us a picture of what that surrender looks like. He calls it living sacrifices. And to Paul's original listeners, that phrase, living sacrifices, would have sounded like a complete contradiction, a true oxymoron. Because in Hebrew culture, where animal sacrifices were routine, everyone knew that a sacrifice had one job, to die and stay dead. But the strange turn of phrase, living sacrifices, probably would have confused them a little bit. Paul is reminding them that Jesus changed everything when he paid the ultimate price to be the final sacrifice, that he paid for the sins of humanity once and for all on the cross, that he is the perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and in his resurrection, he offers us life both now and for eternity. 
And he invites us into that life by calling us to be living sacrifices, dead but alive in him. It's not a contradiction. Death leads to life. Before Jesus went to his own death, preparing his disciples for what was to come, he said to them in John 12, verses 24 and 25, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you want to live a life that has eternal impact? Give it to God as a living sacrifice. And this is not easy. This is why D.L. Moody said the problem with living sacrifices is that they crawl off the altar. Because sometimes doing what God is calling us to do feels a little bit like death. I mean, just think about the things that Paul said will define our transformed life in Romans 12. That we wouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought that we'd remember we're one body and we belong to each other. Our lives are not our own anymore. That we would use our gifts not for our own selfish gain, but to serve others. That we'd be devoted to one another in love. That we would honor other people above ourselves. That we'd be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in our prayer life. That we would share with people who are in need. That we'd practice hospitality. That we would, if it is possible, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone, that we would not be people who take revenge, and that we would bless those who persecute us. Most of those things are really, really difficult. I don't think most of them sound very fun at all. But presenting our lives as a living sacrifice means laying down our desires, our will, our rights. And what's so amazing is that in that death, we find real life. And we find that life not only in our lives, but we see God use those things to bring life in the world around us and more life and more life in this life and in the life to come. When we look back at Florence Nightingale's life, we see a revolutionary and a hero. But you have to remember, to everyone around her, it looked like she was throwing her life away. She was giving up her rights to a comfortable life of luxury. And she submitted herself to the will of her God. And so I want you to know that the invitation to offer your life as a living sacrifice is probably not going to feel very glamorous or heroic. It's going to show up in the way that you love your spouse when it's difficult, the way that you care for your children even on the long days, the way that you serve other people, the way that you practice humility in the workplace. It's going to take place in the quiet conversations between you and God where you say, in this situation today, your will be done. I'm laying down my life, my will, my rights. Use me as you desire. And so my desire, as we go forward from this semester, my hope is that we will continue to grow in our ability to wrestle ourselves back onto the altar again and again, one day at a time, that we would submit ourselves to his will, and in doing that, that our eyes would be opened up more and more to the wonder 
of his loving plan for our lives and for this broken world. May we be people whose lives are so transformed by God that people will step back and ask, what is the secret to the beautiful life that you've lived? And may we be people that respond with the answer, I have kept nothing back from God. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for all that you've done this semester in our groups. We're grateful for your word and for this picture of a transformed life that you give us in Romans chapter 12. We know that it's all possible because of your mercy and the work that you do in our lives when we surrender everything to you. But that's hard for us. And so going forward from today, I pray that you would help us get into the practice and rhythm of doing that every single day, of surrendering ourselves to you and saying, God, our lives are yours. Use them as you so desire. We know from experience that when we do that, even when it's difficult, you show us the way that leads to real life. And you open our eyes up further to the wonder of your glory and your goodness and your love. So lead us forward as we go from this semester. We are so grateful. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.